0: Good afternoon, you're listening to 90.7 FM KLX. I'm Franklin and this is
1: Berkeley Rocks.
2: That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. I'm Charles Lee.
1: I'm Mike Fitzhugh. We'll be taking a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology.
0: Also joining us today is Mr. Guy Kosaki who will tell us his rules for a revolutionary technologists.
2: In addition, Professor Richard Mueller will join us to give his comments on the recent specia- space shuttle incident.
1: Stay tuned for all this, plus the world-famous question of the week, coming up next on Berkeley Grox.
0: Welcome back to Perfect Rocks. I'm Franklin.
2: And I guess that makes me Charles Lee.
1: And I'm Mike Fitzhugh. So how's everyone doing?
2: Doing well. It's a great uh, great week to be here in the uh, Bay Area for science fun.
1: Science fun? Absolutely. And for us working stiffs, some of us had Monday off, which ah, made things a little nice. sweeter. Indeed. Ah, that's right. A real holiday.
2: Right. <laughs> Luckily, we here at the university always get these holidays off, even though we may not choose to take them. Right. But uh, any of you go to the uh, protest out in the city?
1: I did. Oh right. On nice. um, Sunday it was uh, it was packed. Not too many uh, not too many geeky, geeky looking people there. <laughs> a lot of hippie looking people. Really? Uh,
2: right. Well, we geeks we protest from within I think. And, <laughs> but I was out there. Was, we
0: send emails. I think yeah. they're all Republicans, right? <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> not that any that I know. But Maybe the closet Republicans. Right. Well, it, it was quite something. So uh, I hope everyone who was out there uh, had a got their message out, and hopefully that will change some things. But we'll see.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed.
0: What about real science? Uh,
2: I I thought that was science, but okay, what about real science? (laughs) Do we have science going on?
0: Um, I I thought we did.
2: Okay, I thought they'd just suspend science because of the war, but
0: we'll (laughs) see. Well, I'm still getting paid. (laughs) (laughs) I think if
2: George Bush has his way, he'll just suspend science on a whim. Yeah. Anyway.
1: There is actually a uh, little bit of uh, interesting science going on, and it's touching all corners of the uh, tech world these days. Ah. Really? It's uh, Bayesian, uh, Bayesian e- the Bayesian equation. Right, right. I, I read an article on the news.com recently. Yeah, this uh, basically this equation, which if you saw it printed, looks about as illegible as my handwriting, <laughs> ba- says that if you the chances that something is going to happen can be plausi- plausibly estimated by how often it occurred in the past.
0: So it's like a very uh, causal thing, right? What happens in the past can influence how much it'll happen again in the future.
1: Right. Right. Okay. And uh, this is being applied to email filtering. Uh huh. And web searching. Uh-huh. And even uh genetic analysis to determine right. how likely somebody uh testing positive for one particular um gene, gene might uh might be to get a disease. Yeah, I understand, like, Microsoft's actually very interested in this technology. Is that right? Yeah, indeed they are. They're actually, um, what they're sort of counting on is the notion that they can build this technology into a lot of their new scheduling and uh, .NET products Mm -hmm. and um, allow, allow things like mobile phones and PDAs to, say, take in an email from somebody that you might occasionally meet with, for instance, analyze the text of the email. Mm-hmm. And based on your actions in the past, like when you got an email from this person, did you schedule a meeting with them? Basically, go ahead and automatically schedule a meeting. Signing. Ah. Yeah.
2: It removes that decision making ability that so many of us guys really have trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> making decisions, right? Yeah. It's the whole commitment thing, I think. Yeah. It's all related.
0: So, you know anything about this uh, Bayes guy, Thomas Bayes? I actually
1: am not too familiar with him. You're have to yeah. <laughs> well, it you to yeah
0: well it turns out that he was a clergyman about two hundred and forty years ago, okay. in the eighteenth century, and um his contention was he could prove the existence of God using mathematical equations, ah, but it was later that he became famous for this bayesian uh, probability theory that God
2: probably exists,
0: yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> He must have taken a Pascal's wager, huh? Well,
2: thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs>
0: so I guess if you wants to know more, they can go to gametheory.net.
1: And there's also a good article that ran yesterday on news.com. Great.
2: All right. Uh, so, so you boys enjoy your coffee every day?
1: I only have it as a dessert. <laughs> I think I've downed four to six cups already today. Wow, and
2: still the day is not yet over.
1: Hey, you know, before noon I need to be on the go. <laughs> the night is still young <laughs> uh, and
2: yet to come. Okay, well, you ever wonder what happens to all that coffee once you're uh, you're through with it, or you maybe you just dump it down the drain?
1: I <laughs> I have wondered because it's a shame to see coffee going down the <laughs> yes, drain. Yes, it should it never go to waste,
2: <laughs> especially Pete's coffee. In, indeed, oh yeah, the Pete's coffee—that's that's darn good coffee. <laughs> Uh, which I guess that wound up being a free advertisement for them. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, so uh, apparently uh, this coffee, coffee and all sorts of other things that go down the drain and get treated in our septic systems uh, have to go through wastewater treatment plants. But a lot of these wastewater treatment plants, because they're often overburdened by, you know, large amounts of rain and mm-hmm. other sorts of things that can out- overburden them, they may not wind up treating all the waste that's going through them. And so a bunch of researchers have been wondering how they can measure the amount of wastewater that's actually been treated and sent back into the system. One good way they found is by actually measuring the amount of caffeine that that comes out of these wastewater plants. Because apparently, you know, wastewater uh, treatment plants can scrub most of the caffeine out of the system. Mm -hmm. But if they actually measure caffeine coming out of the wastewater plant, then they know that it's not really doing a very efficient job. And you might be getting all kinds of other things besides caffeine coming out of your wastewater treated. <laughs> or, or your body. Yeah, well, so, you like know, the lead. fecal matter or, or used condoms, I don't know. Charming. <laughs> yes, indeed. But anyway, so there, there's certainly uh, uh, an, uh, a new metric, I guess, for measuring these sorts of things. And these researchers, uh, Berg and others, have done this in Switzerland, and they calculated that uh, the fraction of untreated wastewater could amount to as much as 4% on some days. Well, that's wow! Extreme. I wonder yeah. if they use Bayesian statistics for this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How many times did oh, we dump the wastewater
2: yeah. out? I guess, I guess only if God can be found in the toilet, but <laughs> <laughs> he can be found in equations. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, but if anyone really wants to look at this uh, and, and know about treatment of wastewater, in uh, fix. Yes. You can look in the uh, uh, recent issue of Environmental Science and Technology, and that's volume 10, page 1021. <laughs>
1: Well, it's been an exciting week in the world of technology. More uh,
0: technology?
1: It's always been exciting wow. technology. I can't
2: live without it, technology. It is. Tell it me is. about it.
1: <laughs> it is one week after another of exciting news these days. But this week's exciting news is uh, mostly in the cell phone area. Uh-huh. Sony and Ericsson, so, or the company Sony Ericsson, which is a um, joint venture they've got going, has released the uh, P800, which is uh, one of the newest and most compact camera phones on the market, which has been eagerly awaited by a lot of people who've been waiting to ditch their handheld or Uh their cell phone in uh, favor of a combo. Mm. Okay. So it's like the hip-tops kind of thing? You know, a little, but it's more compact has a camera on the back and Uh runs the Symbian operating system, which uh, is very popular in the U.K. and Europe Mm. and is similar to uh, what we often see here with the Palm OS or uh, the Microsoft Windows. uh, Uh Pocket PC. Exactly. So um, this little phone is... uh, Is actually most notable um, as a sort of an indicator of other phones that are to come because it's running a uh, web browser that can easily display um, sort of full size pages on the web instead of Mm. doing what, instead of requiring what a lot of web enabled phones uh, require these special HTML, Mm. special uh, Mm -hmm. encodings Mm -hmm. to, uh, to be able to view things on the web. Well, that's very exciting. Yeah, it really it really is interesting. Uh, it's um and, we, and we couple that with uh, Palm's announcement that in a couple of days they're going to bring out the tungsten W, which is the first uh, combination cell phone and uh, Palm handheld that they've brought the out. Tungsten
0: W doesn't that sound redundant though? Uh.
1: <laughs> w. Check tungsten.
3: Tungsten.
1: Hmm. <laughs> on the periodic table. Yeah but uh and and last but not least, uh, Motorola brought out the news that they're going to be running Linux on all of their upcoming software oh, uh, penguin that's power really exactly, so by the end of the year, they're going to have uh, linux based phones with uh Java programs running on top.
0: Well, I'm squeezing that penguin juice out of it, I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the
1: last thing out of it so uh my phone is going straight to the garbage before long um okay. other sort of notable little tidbits. Uh, Mac uh, or Apple released uh, Mac OS 10.24, which 0.1.2.2, right?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Strangely, there's this sort of uh, sort of maniacal uh, following in community. As soon as Mac releases anything for OS 10, uh-huh. about 20 sites write about it in immense detail. Uh-huh. So, uh, Mostly positive, I presume? Yeah. Generally so, yeah. It, it introduced some security enhancements mm-hmm. and uh, some better features for PDFs. So uh, that was big news in the uh, buzzing world. And uh, Google went out and bought uh, Pyra, one, which is a web company, weblogging company, one of the uh-huh. first uh, weblogging tools ever to uh, ever to be made. And what the company that some people credit with actually making the weblogging phenomena as popular as it is now. Cool. So nobody knows what they'll do with it. There's rampant speculation. Well, I about guess
2: that. log a lot of web browsing. <laughs> <it> seems. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So.
1: Um, cool. Anyway, yeah, it's a, it's been an interesting week.
2: All right. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll we'll look forward to more in highlights in the world of technology coming up in further weeks. And that's all for this week's look at current
0: events in the world of science and technology. You're listening to Berkeley here on 90.7 FM. In a few moments, Mr. Guy Kawasaki will join us to offer us some tips on high tech startups, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Grox. Well, here's something to think about. Do you have a great idea? Is there a company you just want to start? Is there some high-tech you just want to develop? Well, this is the episode for you. Joining us today is our distinguished guest, Mr. Guy Kawasaki. Mr. Guy Kawasaki was a former Mac evangelist. He's written numerous books, The Macintosh Way, Hindsight, and Rules for Revolutionaries. He's also an inspirational speaker, and recently he's been running a company called Garage.com. Mr. Kawasaki, thanks for joining us.
4: Thank you. Well, first of all, we're now Garage Technology Ventures as opposed to Garage.com. Uh-huh. It's a minor detail.
0: So it's not a garage for tuning up cars, huh?
4: Not that I checked last.
0: Well, first of all, could you tell us the motivation behind this company and your evangelistic activities?
4: Well, at Apple, I was a software evangelist, so my job was to convince people to write Macintosh versions of their products. uh, And hence, uh, since that sort of part of my career, I've really tried to help a lot of people start companies. And uh, this current permutation, we are a venture capital investment bank. So that means we provide venture capital as well as investment banking services. The motivation is to help entrepreneurs uh, create great companies that change the world.
3: And if we do that, of
4: course, we will be comp. But the genesis is, you know, we love cool companies. We want companies that make great products. I was very fortunate to work for Apple, and Macintosh arguably changed the world. So I just want to do more things like that.
0: And your new book, Rules for Revolutionaries The Capitalist Manifesto for Creating and Marketing New Products and Services. Uh, tell us a little bit more about this book.
4: Uh, that book was written in about 1998 uh 1997, so you know there is a, a few year gap there. It was written before the dot com phenomenon. Right. Although I don't really think that the well the dot com phenomenon sort of the tide has gone out. So I I think it's completely applicable, if not more applicable now. Um, it it is based on creating great products, having a real technology. It is not based on things like. Let's advertise on the Super Bowl and build a big brand and get a lot of eyeballs and someone how to monetize those eyeballs. Yeah. There's nothing about selling cans of dog food on the internet in that book either. Right. So I guess if you wait long enough your book, you know, comes back into uh into vogue.
3: <laughs>
0: it's like a fashion, huh?
4: Exactly. Next thing you know, we'll be wearing bell-bottoms
3: again. <laughs> <laughs> so what really
0: happened during the dot-com era? were people just so greedy and exuberant that
4: they... Well, yeah, there was some greed. There was some just uh, defying of gravity. <laughs> but, you know, I think we'll look back at this period after we get out of this particular thing and say, wow, you know, lots of things died, but lots of cool stuff happened, too. And I, I can't imagine a world without Amazon.com or... Uh, Fandango or Shutterfly or Netflix Uh, and you know those kinds of companies you would think or I know those kind of companies would have a very difficult time getting funded today and yet uh, they were funded in a in a more sort of irrationally exuberant time and they have stayed the course so just think of a world without the internet it's inconceivable so some stuff died but you know lots have lived and that's sort of how things evolve.
0: Survival of the fittest huh?
4: Uh, I survival of the fittest, survival of the luckiest, whatever it takes. But, you know, well, I would die without Netflix. <laughs>
0: uh, so in your book, you describe, you have this mantra, you know, uh, create like a god, command like a king, and work like a slave. Could you explain that a little bit?
4: Yes, uh, that is actually a, a quote I took from a sculptor from Eastern Europe. But in creating revolutions, you do need to have a, uh, first of all, this sort of uh, totally Inspired desire to change the world where you create like a God and you're not, you're not uh, sort of restricted by making things only 5, 10, 15 percent better that you're trying to make things ten times better.
3: Mm-hmm. So first you
4: need to create it. Um, then you need to command like a king. You mean, in, in other words, you need to set the right strategic directions. You need to do the right things Having created this thing, because a lot of people, you know, a good idea is easy. The, the hard part is implementation.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
4: it comes down to working like a slave, um, meaning that you have to work very hard. Revolutions are not easy things. So those are the three sort of tenets of a successful revolution.
0: Mm-hmm. So let me just do a quick um, book review here. Unlike books I was supposed to read, I actually read your book, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, It was quite insightful um, in terms of developing us, spreading it, and helping it to grow. Um, Also, giving tips for entrepreneurs to uh, deal with different circumstances. And the thing that came to my mind was, wow, you you must be the the Ben Franklin of uh, entrepreneurship.
4: I'm very flattered with the comparison, and I, I think it's correct. Uh, I don't want to give your listeners the impression, however, that I think I did everything right. Uh, Mm -hmm. My book reflects a lot of mistakes that I made, and I would like people to avoid those mistakes, though you truly do learn mistakes.
0: I think it's the best way to learn sometimes.
4: Well, yeah, I mean, after the fact, it's easy to say that, but you don't go into things saying, I wish I make a mistake so I can learn.
0: (laughs) A little bit painful sometimes, huh? Yes. So this is where you talk about uh, pooping like an elephant, is that correct?
4: Well, pooping like an elephant uh, refers to the fact that an elephant poops 165 pounds a day. Um, it's coupled with the thought of eating like a bird. So a bird eats a lot, like you know, half of its body weight per day. Mm-hmm. And an elephant poops 165 pounds a day. So my point here is that if you want to be a successful revolutionary, you truly need to eat information like a bird eats food. Uh, so you need to go to conferences, read voraciously, talk to a lot of people, right. and then when you get all that information, you should create open standards, poop it out, spread it out like an elephant, not keep it to yourself. You should try to legitimize the entire revolution, not just your part of the revolution.
0: Well, let's talk about the present. Uh, what trends do you see coming out of Silicon Valley?
4: <laughs> well, I, I think there's still, uh, you know, people are a little shell-shocked about the recession, uh, but I, I do sense a lot more optimism that people are willing to try to start companies
3: mm-hmm.
4: that uh, I think people realize that, y- you know, you just can't stay in this funk forever. Right. So, you know, I, I hope it turns around soon, but it's going to take optimism and idealism on the part of entrepreneurs. Uh, if we just sit around wondering when the world will change for us, it's <laughs> not going to happen. We've it ourselves.
0: Proactive, huh? But yes so what's the best next te- uh what's the uh, next best technology is it like be I mean, wireless or biotech
4: well yeah no one can say anything bad about wireless right so i, I have an eight o two eleven network in my house and I, I wish eight o two eleven were everywhere um, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of companies starting eight o two eleven technology right and, uh, i I love the technology. I don't know how many of them will make money, but you know, I, I love a day where there's 802.11 everywhere. the I, I can't tell you I know what the next big thing is. Um, I think because historically, whenever the next best thing is presented, most people don't understand it, including myself at the start, mm-hmm. and it's only with sort of hindsight that you can say, oh yeah, that was the next best thing. Um, and lots of people come to you and say, "I have the next best thing." No one comes to you and say, "says I have a piece of crap that is mediocre." So it's it's, it's very to figure this out in the front end, um, and that's why the people who truly do pull it off are amply rewarded.
0: Mm-hmm. How about robotics? Do you see that as a upcoming thing, or is it?
4: Well, robotics has been an upcoming thing for about 50 years, um, sort of like networking. So you know, I I don't know. Bill Gross has a company down in L.A. called right, right. Evolution Robotics, I think, mm-hmm. that is working on it, and that's a real cool thing. Uh, yeah, so you know, it's it's going to take those canaries, those kinds of people who are taking wild shots to make it happen.
0: So I was wondering, um, what's the most interesting or bizarre proposals you've gotten for uh, a venture?
4: Oh, we've had proposals, you know, uh, ranging from buying Israel to make it into a, a amusement park. Uh, to building uh, geodesic domes over Los Angeles to prevent smog. But, you know, those are really sort of the outlying ideas. Most ideas, particularly now, are much more rational. They're about security and enterprise. Fabless semiconductor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of deals that we're looking for, And software, infrastructure, uh, semiconductor. Um, those are fundable deals. Today's fundable deal is based on real technology, not just a clever idea.
0: I see. And uh, how does Garage Technologies actually work in terms of uh, matching, you know, uh, visionaries and uh, and funding?
4: Well, we do it uh, in, in two ways uh, at the minimum. One way is we act as a venture capitalist and we make direct investments. So we're looking at are trying to raise five hundred thousand to two million dollars, where we can make a direct investment for companies that are looking for uh, five million to twenty-five million, who are more mature companies. Um, Then we act as an investment bank and Mm -hmm. we help them raise money from uh, qualified investors, uh, primarily venture capitalists and institutional investors. So it depends on the stage of the company. Early stage we invest, uh, later stage we uh, do investment banking.
0: Okay, well, I get a little bit out of time. Uh, Are there any last comments you'd like to add today?
4: Uh, Just that I would encourage the kind of technical audience that listens to this broadcast is, you know, don't take this current recession, this current sort of, uh, mindset negativity as a permanent thing, they should still dream, they should create the next big thing, uh, they should go for it because that's what's going to set this thing back in motion.
0: Okay, well, thanks a lot for joining us, Mr. Kawasaki. Right, my pleasure. And that was Mr. Guy Saki, who we just talked to. To find out more about launching a high tech startup, you can read one of his numerous books, uh, including Rules for Revolutionaries, Hindsight, Selling the Dream, The Macintosh Way. And these can be found at your local library, bookstore, Amazon, or Barnes & Nobles. You can also check out his website, garage.com. You're listening to Berkeley the only here on 90.7 FM. Coming up, Professor Richard Muller will join us in thoughts on NASA's mission. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Berkeley Rocks. Well, it's already been two weeks since the space shuttle disaster of Columbia, and many questions remain: what really happened and how it happened. But most importantly, how should NASA's mission be redefined? Well, with us right now is Richard Miller to give us his thoughts on that. Professor Miller, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. First of all, in, um, in a recent article in the tech review, you mentioned the uh, the risks and the, um, the benefits of manned space travel. Could you elaborate on that a little
5: bit? Well, I, I think the public has been drawn into the illusion that flight on the shuttle can be safe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't think people who are really closely involved with it ever really believe that. You're coming in at such a gas. Spagast- Uh, you're running into the air, heats the outer surface to 3,000 degrees. That's not quite as hot as the surface of the sun, but it's very hot. You're moving with 100 times the energy of a bullet. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reentry simply cannot be safe. The the tiles that allow that reentry, the shape of the shuttle, is something where I I think a reasonable estimate is per flight, 2% 2% chance of catastrophe. That's not going to change.
0: Right. I, I think that's a value that NASA were, uh, for many years, right?
5: Uh, that's, that's, uh, I'm not sure what their internal number was, but they've misled the public into thinking that this is something that's so safe that ordinary citizens, senators, school teachers, they can go along because this is just like, like, like taking a, an airplane flight. And it, it really isn't.
0: And do you believe that most of the missions in space can be done without, without uh, manned missions?
5: Well, there are two types of missions. There are the scientific missions, and then there's the man in space as a, for itself. Obviously, the second cannot be done without man in space. Uh, once again, the public has a misimpression that the purpose of the space shuttle is to do science. Mm-hmm. And almost every scientist I know kind of rolls his eyes when he hears that. Uh, virtually everybody who's involved with NASA doing, uh, scientific missions would would much prefer to have unmanned space flights. Some of the greatest things that have flown in the shuttle, such as the space telescope, probably could have been put up there much cheaper uh, if it <clears throat> didn't have to be man-qualified and go up in the shuttle.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Other projects are, cannot have people on board. Uh, most people, most scientists, believe that the cost of sending up experiments is much greater if you have to do it on the shuttle.
0: Professor Moller, thanks for joining us
5: today. You're welcome.
0: And the Jamaican Cletus returns with
5: the answer to last week's question in a week.
2: Yeah, man, so, so, every time you're calling the man, you're telling me, you're saying, man, so, what's the Foucault Pendulum? I say, man, why are you tripping? Why are you wondering about the Foucault Pendulum? Everyone know what the Foucault Pendulum is, man. Every time you see the angular momentum of the Earth and you want to conserve, man, you got to watch the Foucault Pendulum because it conserves the angular momentum of the Earth. It just go back and forth and back and forth. And then you see, man, it's the Foucault Pendulum. And now here is
0: a Tokyo Kid with this week's question of the week. You know FBI and you know CIA, but what is AT? Is it another spy agency? If you know the answer or just think you know the answer, email us at uh, glox at hotmail.com. You won't win anything, but you know where your energy comes from. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grox.
1: Make sure you tune in next week for more news from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us, email us
2: here at grox at hotmail.com. For Berkeley Grox, I'm Charles Lee.
0: And I'm Frank Ling. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net.
1: I'm Mike Fitzhugh. Stay tuned for more music with your host, Mr. Pixel.